From Hudson Institute's Pennsylvania Avenue headquarters in Washington, D.C., this is Policy Talk. I'm your host, Brian Blake. We're glad you found Policy Talk, Hudson Institute's new podcast. We hope you'll subscribe to our regular episodes. In each episode, Policy Talk will feature in-depth conversations with some of Hudson Institute's more than 60 policy experts analyzing and proposing solutions to some of the most challenging foreign and domestic policy issues facing the United States and the world today. Founded more than a half century ago, Hudson Institute has a long and proud history of being a voice in Washington and in democratic capitals around the globe, promoting American leadership and global engagement for a secure, free, and prosperous future. In today's episode, we'll discuss the state of Iran and what the future holds now that the United States has pulled out of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, or in the nomenclature most of us know it by, the Iran Deal. Joining us is one of the world's leading experts on the JCPOA and Iran, Hudson Senior Fellow Michael Duran. A graduate of Stanford and Princeton Universities, Duran has worked at the highest levels of academia and government, including serving on the National Security Council and in the State Department and Pentagon during the George W. Bush administration. In February of 2015, right in the final throes of the push by the Obama administration for the Iran deal, Mike authored a highly provocative piece in Mosaic magazine titled, Obama's Secret Iran Strategy. In it, he argued that while many of Obama's critics saw his efforts to seek a deal with Iran as the naive efforts of an idealist, in fact, Obama was pursuing a detailed strategy to normalize relations with Iran, with the Iran deal being its crowning achievement. The piece had great influence in Washington, being read everywhere from the Oval Office to the halls of Congress. Duran's words have since proved prescient, as everyone from Ben Rhodes to President Obama have confirmed much of Mike's thesis. We're pleased to have you join us today, Mike. Thanks for having me. So let's get into the Iran deal. A lot has happened in, in recent weeks. Um, obviously, the, the uh, Trump administration uh, pulled the, the trigger and got out of the deal, as, as he had promised from the, from the campaign trail and, and as he had uh, continued to reaffirm throughout the first year of his presidency. Do you want to talk about where we are right now in general terms on, on the Iran deal? I mean, the United States is out, but, but kind of summarize the issue for us. So the the president's decision was based on an analysis that he presented last October, um, in in which in a speech in which he said there were three major flaws in the deal. Uh, it it failed to address uh, Iran's ballistic missiles. Uh, it had inadequate uh, inspections provisions, and worst of all, from my perspective, uh, it had uh, sunsets. Uh, and the restrictions on Iran's uh, program were going to end uh, in about a decade, all meaningful restrictions. Some of them, proponents of the deal like to say that the restrictions on the um, on Iran's nuclear program are permanent, but th- those are really notional restrictions. The actual meaningful restrictions end in, in about a decade. Um, and he turned to Congress and our European allies and said, we need to fix this. And, and the idea was that as a matter of American law, uh, if Iran, when the sunsets uh, came, uh, went beyond certain levels of enrichment, then uh, the United States would reimpose the sanctions. Um, the sanctions are, as a matter of American law, they, the sanctions are still on the books. What, what the president has been doing every 90 or 180 days, depending on the law, has been to waive the sanctions uh, in keeping with the 
uh, in keeping with the deal. So um, for the sanctions to be reimposed, it just means the president has to stop uh, has to stop waiving them. Uh, a, anyway, that began negotiations first in Congress, um, and the Democrats in Congress uh, apparently because they didn't want to hand Trump uh, a political victory and they didn't want to destroy President Obama's legacy decided not really to negotiate. And it's, it's kind of interesting because the, the Democrats, many of the Democrats hate the deal. I mean, the deal was right. not popular. The, sure. uh, President Obama never got a majority in Congress to vote for it. Uh, so, but but the, but this, there's the politics of it. They don't want to hand Trump a victory and a, and, and a defeat to Obama. So the way they squared that circle was to hide behind the Europeans. So the Democrats took the position that um, we will not agree to anything that is going to split the Western alliance. So you, the Trump administration, you have to go to the Europeans and and cut a deal with them, and then bring that to Congress. And if you can get a deal with the Europeans, then we'll uh, then, then then we'll approve that. So all of the action moved. Uh, all of the action moved to the negotiations with the Europeans, which were run out of the State Department, and. Uh, those uh, the, the Europeans came a few steps toward Trump, uh, but not uh, nearly to where uh, he could. Uh, they didn't give him what he would need to go to Congress and get a, and a get a bill passed, and especially on uh, what I consider to be the most important issue, the sunsets. The uh, Europeans were unwilling to to ad- uh, to address that. So uh, the president did what he said he was going to do, and he uh, and he pulled out. But in doing so, I mean, he he didn't just say, as some people expected, that um, you know that uh, we failed to reach an agreement with the Europeans, uh, and therefore I'm reimposing the sanctions. He said um, that Iran was problematic, not just in its nuclear program, but in terms of its behavior in the region. And, and that message was was emphasized by Secretary of State Pompeo a few days ago in his uh, speech, major speech on Iran, in which he named 12 items, 12 changes that the Iranians needed to make in their policy in order for the United States to to cut a deal with it. And that includes not just their, their nuclear program, but also their uh, their support for terrorism and their uh, military adventurism in the uh, in, in in the Middle East. So, um, in a sense, now uh, we have, Trump has moved um, the moved the American policy back to where it was in the George W. Bush administration. That is to say that the that we are looking at the totality of the behaviors of Iran, addressing the totality of the behaviors of Iran that the, that the United States and its allies find threatening. Do you think that uh, obviously the president's made a, a lot of changes in his senior staff at the White House? We now have John Bolton, um, who's joined his team, um, his, his national security advisor. You have uh, Pompeo at, at state and uh, instead of Tillerson, uh, who it, it was believed and, and reported, and he's since confirmed that he, you know, was more of a fan of keeping the deal in place. Um, how much has uh, have those people entering the White House? Is that a is that a sign of um, President Trump uh, being influenced by them, or a sign of President Trump getting the people in that that he wanted that would uh, move on the po- promises he'd made? I think the latter. I, I think it's a great improvement because he now has people in place in the State Department and in, and uh, in the White House 
who are uh, in tune with him in terms of his his uh, a lot of his instincts. I mean, one of your jobs as the as the Secretary of State is to translate the the instincts and the the basic perceptions, kind of the understanding of thir- from thirty thousand feet of the president into concrete policy. That is the job. And I don't think, unfortunately, I, I don't think that Rex Tillerson was really doing that job. When you have the Secretary of State, when the, when the president has said that the nuclear deal is a bad deal and he wants to and he wants to change it to renegotiate it, and the Secretary of State says that he likes the nuclear deal, that's a problem. Right. And you know, the, I've been talking to Europeans a lot in European diplomats uh, in the last few days. And one thing is really striking to me, and and that's that they, I think, genuinely feel that they were double-crossed by the administration. Uh, I haven't got to the bottom of this, and I, I don't know if, if – if By the it, Trump administration? By the, the, Trump, by, okay. the, by the Trump administration. They feel double-crossed. Uh, and I haven't got to the bottom of this. Maybe they were maybe – maybe it's their own fault that they feel double-crossed. But I, I suspect – I don't want to push this too hard because I don't know for a fact. Right. But I suspect that they they were getting mixed signals from the administration. They were get, because Donald Trump was saying one thing, but some of his top officials and Madison Tillerson in particular, and Secretary of Defense Madison, Secretary of State Tillerson, were saying the deal's a good deal. So weren't they, weren't they signaling then? Can can't we assume that they were signaling to the Europeans that hey, work with us and we can hem the old man in? Yeah. I I think that something like that was 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 going on. That that's not a healthy way to run a foreign policy. And and you see, in the end, I mean, the message that Trump has sent them, the Europeans, is you should listen to what I'm saying, not to what the guys around me, uh, you know, are saying when they're contradicting me. That's right. And and he's had, obviously, there's been some high level foreign leaders that have come. Macron, um, recently, he, he's been in contact with Angela Merkel. Um, how are how are these nations uh, reacting to this? But publicly, I mean, you you mentioned you're talking to them behind the scenes, but um, what are their what are their steps they're taking? I, I think the I think the French have taken this more in stride. You can you can see it in the public, in the public perceptions. The I mean, in the public statements, uh, uh, Macron recognized that there was a good chance that Trump was going to pull out, and so when he came to Washington, he uh, announced four pillars of the Iran issue that he was concerned about, and nuclear was just one of them. You know, yeah. other issues like their behavior in the region was a concern as well. So he positioned himself so that the day after Trump said, I'm getting out, Macron could say, well, you could take it in stride and say, let's continue the dialogue with the Americans about what to do about the Iran problem. With the Germans and the British, it was different because they just they just advised Trump not to do it. And then Trump did it. So now uh, the Germans in particular are very angry. And my read on the, the 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 anger on the on the German side is is much deeper than I expected. I, I think what's going on there is that the the Germans are angry uh, about a number of things, and you know, in particular, uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum. Um, but they're they're lumping it in their minds. It's lumped all together in uh, America first, and uh, their annoyance or anger. Uh, with America first, and they the the decision on the JCPOA is in their minds a kind of um, illegitimate unilateral action by the United States, which affects European businesses much more than it does 
Ameri- um, American businesses. Now, when you look at the amount of trade that the, that the, that the, that the Germans are doing with the Iranians, it's maybe, I, I don't know the exact number, but about around $3.5 billion a year. That's, I don't, like 1% of the German GDP. Right. I mean, it's not a, this is not a debilitating blow that they were, that they were dealt. Um, but they kind of feel stronger about it than anything else because it's the issue on which they can say we're just, this is a matter of principle. Uh, it gives them a kind of moral license Right. to vent the anger that they feel from a lot of different areas, and they channel it into the one thing because they can feel most righteous about this. Also, there's a, a um, consensus now in the EU at this moment uh, that the Americans made the wrong move, uh, an improper move. Um, in the improper in the in a international law type of way? Or that's the way a- they read it. They, that's the way they read it. I mean, from an American point of view, the president just changed policy, right? And it's it's not a legal matter in any way, and he has every right to do it, uh, and and that is actually the facts of the matter. And, right. and of course, we on the on the on the Republican side, we told the Europeans and the and everyone else while no, Obama was negotiating this that this had no legal standing, and the next president could easily yeah. reverse it. They chose not to listen to that. But from um, in the EU environment, it feels like a legal, legally binding thing. So it has a, it has a, it has a. Um, um, they, they haven't really thought this through. They're, they're not thinking it sure. through in, in in careful terms. It has a legal feel, even if it's not because it, because it was, it was it was blessed by a Security Council resolution. So it it feels kind of binding to them, even though it's not. And I mean, nobody ever signed it. it wasn't the, the Iranians didn't sign it? The president didn't sign it. And, but I mean, it, you know, the the result of it, especially in Europe, it put the bureaucratic structure in motion. It allowed uh, businesses to go to Iran and make deals, which you know are contracts that they see as binding now, and it, it puts all those things at risk for them. Um, which, although, although, although a lot of that didn't happen. I, I, you you remember after the deal was signed, um, very quickly the the Iranians claimed that they were shortchanged and that they were they were sold a pig and a poke because the they expected or said they expected I don't know what they really expected but they said they expected a lot of, a lot of business to return yeah and and private business did not return because private business saw the risk <laughs> saw the risk <laughs> of a of a deal that was not a treaty and that could be easily reversed and and they also I mean for the uh, for the eight years of the of the the Bush administration and about you know, two or three maybe four of the of the Trump of the um, Obama administration, uh, U.S. officials were telling European businesses all the time that dealing that doing business with Iran is a risky proposition because the Revolutionary Guard Corps controls an enormous amount of the business and so on of, of the of right. seemingly seemingly independent businesses. So that never happened. I mean the the the, the the great windfall the the rush to do business in Iran never took place and we had John Kerry Secretary of State of the United States going out to Europe arguing against what the, what the United what the Obama Treasury Department was saying about the, the dangers of doing business in in Iran trying to drum up business in Iran at the time yeah I know he's been he out did talking a, to them no 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 the, at the time yeah, back yeah. in back in back in twenty in twenty fifteen twenty sixteen he's he was in in Europe trying to drum up business for Iran which is not usually in the job <laughs> description of the United States Secretary of State. Right, right. So, in obviously, this one of the big critiques of the, of the deal was that it brought a windfall of cash um, 
into 150 billion. Am I right on that? Around that, they, yeah. I, you, the, different people calculate the number differently. Let's say many, many billions. Many, I, many I always billions. avoid uh, the, scores of billions. Yeah, scores um, of billions <laughs> <laughs> into into Iran. Uh, did, so, what was the impact in the country? Obviously, as you, as you mentioned, the Republican Guard controls the the vast majority of, of the wealth that doesn't really trickle down into the street and into the to the uh, average Iranian. How are how would they react to the deal? How has the leadership reacted to the deal? Well, it, it, the the general benefits to the population uh, I think are about nil. Mm-hmm. The the regime was strengthened. Um, the there's there have been financial scandals in uh, famously now fi- financial scandals in in. Um, uh, in Iran, where average people had their bank accounts just uh, sort of like the victims of a kind of Ponzi scheme, where, yeah. where it, it, in 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 accounts that they thought were secure, they just their savings evaporated. So, um, the the general feeling in the country, I don't think, is uh, uh, about the the prosperity or the or the benefits of the deal. They haven't seen a lot. Of change. They haven't seen the, haven't the, seen the, the average person has not seen change. Right. Uh, but the regime, you know, they got many billions and and their revenues the, the 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 billions that they got up front from the release of funds and escrow and other sources of um of cash that we gave them <laughs> on pallets. Uh, that's not the real issue. The real issue is that we that, that they're they're free to do as much business as they can now and yeah. sell as much oil on the on the open market as they can. That's that's where the real lasting economic benefit is going to come from. But they've just used that uh, to line the pockets of the elite and to uh, and to fund their um, to fund their adventurism in the region. Right. So since Trump pulled out of the deal um, or pulled the U.S. out of the deal. Have what has been the reaction in, in Iran? Have has what has it been both covertly? I, we know their adventurism; um, it's not that covert, but they're 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 using it. They're using that this uh, this rift that we have with the Europeans right now uh, to try to extort a, a better deal from the Europeans, um, and that's where the real action is is going on now. I mean, the what they want. The the EU is talking about coming up with a, a blocking regulation, um, in in which it will shield businesses that want to do business with 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 Iran. And I mean, you can put it this way: the the, the EU is going to continue to stay in the deal. This is what they're saying, uh, and the Iranians see that. And they see the difference with the Trump administration, and so they they're they're trying to peel. The Europeans off from the uh, from the Americans, so there'll be kind of a, I guess the way to think of it is a sort of rump JCPOA, a rump Iran deal, mm-hmm. which will be between Europe and and Iran, and that'll keep running, according to its own dynamic, uh, dis- despite what the United States is is doing. Uh, now the problem with this is that the problem with this is that the uh, bit like as we already said, the private sector. Is not going to go do the European private sector is not going to go do business already. The CEO of Total, the the French oil uh, company, said we're getting out angrily. He said it because you know when anger was was the anger towards Iran or towards America? Okay, toward America. Yeah, we have no choice because I mean the choice you've given us is to do business. You know, with it's not the way our sanctions work. It's not just that you can't the secondary sanctions work. Is that, is that it's not just that if you do business with Iran, you can't do business with the United States. It's that you also don't have access 
to uh, to American financial institutions and to financial institutions that do business in America. So uh, you, uh, HSBC Bank in London will not give you funding, will not lend to you if you're going to be doing business in in Iran. So you are right. just sort of cut off from the Western financial system. That's the beauty, uh, you know. That's the power of these uh, of these sanctions. So, uh, so the private sector, the big companies, Total in in, in France and Siemens in Germany, they're out of. They're, they made it right. clear they're out of. They, they don't like it. You know, they're angry with America, but uh, but but they have to make their choice. They're they're out of uh, Iran. So. What the EU, the, the idea that the EU seems to have, and we have to wait to see exactly how they're going to how they're going to develop this and how they're going to implement it. But the idea seems to be that there are smaller companies, uh, particularly in Germany and Italy, that only do business with Iran, that don't do any business with America. So, are there ways that the that the that the uh, European financial institutions or governments can wall off those smaller companies so that they can continue to do business with their, with Iran? Another another idea that seems to be floating around is that the European Central Bank or the uh, uh, Deutsche Bundesbank, the Central Bank of Germany, they'll uh, act as kind of intermediaries. Uh, to facilitate business with Iran, particularly in oil sales, which is the, the thing that, care, that, that the yeah. Iranians care the most about. Yeah. Right. So the idea is that you're a, you're a European entity that wants to buy oil from Iran. You will pay money uh, to, the, uh, to the European Central Bank, and then it will pay money to the Euro- to directly to the Central Bank of Iran. Um, and in return, the oil will be will, will be delivered. And so you, as the final customer, you'll be insulated from the transaction by the uh, by Big Brother, the the, the okay. European Central Bank. Um, and that would then that that would then play, be a game of chicken with the United States. So that the United States would, in order to stop that, would have to sanction the European Central Bank, which would be like you know, which would be the, the effect of something bigger than the layman's. Right. right? I mean, we we. So the, the the what what the Europeans would be threatening is to say, D- are you the United States? Are you going to tank the European economy over this over this Iran? This is what's being. This threatened. is what's being. This is what's being. Threatened. I don't even know if it's possible. I'm not a. I'm not a great. Uh, financial guru. Financial <laughs> expert. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I, but this is the kind of thing that's being bandied about. We have to see. We we have to see where where, so the, where it goes. But the the main theme here is the Europeans are not happy with the U.S. on this pulling out, and they're looking for ways around it, looking for ways to keep uh, as you much know, business business in, in and, place. And the, now, and, and the and the and the sorry, I, that was a lot. No, but please. your 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 question was, a, if I recall correctly, it was a long time ago. Yes. My answer was so long, <laughs> but it was about the about the Iranians. So the Iranians are watching that, and, and their question is. How much can we get out of the Europeans on this, and how far right. can we pull them from the Americans? How do the Europeans at this point? I mean, we're, we're talking about business. The whole point of this deal in the first place is to uh, make Iran a better citizen in the League of Nations. That they stop developing nuclear weapons, stop you know exporting terrorism, funding it throughout the world. Do the Europeans, as they're making the calculus now, are they prioritizing this, those issues at all? They say they are, and I have no reason to doubt them. I totally disagree. I mean, I read reality completely differently than they do. Uh, but they, from a German, well, by the way, when we say Europeans, the, the 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 actors that are really driving this at this point are the Germans. Yeah. Um, and this deal, from the the German point of view, this was like a 
kind of uh, you know foreign policy heaven for the for right. the for the for the Germans because it was a, a multilateral deal uh, 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 led by Europe in their minds. There's a whole uh, well, I'll just say a multilateral deal sanctioned by the UN. Um, in which diplomacy, in their mind, uh, bested military confrontation, uh, and they do believe they 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 buy this image of the deal, uh, which says that it is strengthening moderates over extremists in Iran, and that through commerce and diplomatic interaction, we are going to soften the hard edges of the of, of the Iranian regime and uh, change its calculus and, and right. so on. I don't buy any of that, by the no. way. I mean, it's well, all, well, you, your, yeah, yeah, the piece yeah, I referenced yeah, at the beginning yeah. that you wrote a few years ago, that was the... Yeah, the piece, this that, is... That's, but that's that the is the, there are two views of yes. Iran. The, yes. the, the view of Iran that I have is that it, it is a, an aggressive expansionist power that is inveterately hostile to the United States and its enemies, and it's looking to um, it's looking to uh, uh, to it weaken, if not destroy, the American-led order in, in in the Middle East. So that's a primary goal. The other side that supports the Iran deal sees a defensive Iran. It believes that the uh, the conflict between the United States and, and Tehran has been fueled at least as much by uh, short-sighted hardline policies from the West as by the uh, as by the Iranians themselves and this other stuff that I mentioned that by you know bringing them in to uh, Western institutions we will we will soften them and so that view consciously lied led right. to conscious lies and uh, uh, misdirection about uh, about very fundamental things. For, for example, there's the issue of the possible military dimensions of their program. According to the nuclear deal, they the Iranians were required to come clean to the IAEA about their uh, about their military program. Um, and they they simply lied about it. They they claimed that they never had one, even though we knew that they did. And we turned a blind eye to that. And the the, the we being the Obama administration. Now the Obama administration never admitted that it turned that it turned a blind eye, and it never explained its thinking. But clearly the thinking was, you know, if we get the Iranians into the system, that's a good thing. And that will that will create dynamics that will change their calculus and and um, and moderate them. And uh, I think it's a bogus calculation. It's, I think it's a mistake. I think they weakened the IAEA significantly. They lowered the bar. Uh, they dispensed with a long-term U.S. policy on uh, not allowing uh, countries to have the full fuel cycle and so on. And um, uh, you know. Look, if you get John Gotti, if you give him half your business, you haven't moderated him and made him a legitimate businessman. You just allow him to get his hooks into you and to look like a legitimate businessman. And that's that's what we did with Iran, in my view. Yeah. Obviously, there's a that's not, well, not the view of the Obama it's, administration. It's also the view of uh, the of Israel of President uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, just days before the. Um, uh, Iran deal was uh, the U.S. pulled out of the Iran deal, or President Trump made the announcement. Um, Netanyahu had a major event, a press event. It was almost out of a, the movies in its <laughs> in its production. <laughs> yeah. um, you mentioned earlier that that Iran lied. Uh, 
Netanyahu made that explicit. He actually had, at, at this event, he revealed um, half ton of documents that Israel uh, intelligence had secreted out of, out of Iran, um, physical documents that detailed their lies on their nuclear program. Um, and uh, in fact, at, at one point he has on, that, on the screen behind him, Iran lied in giant black and white lettering. Uh, so obviously that uh, played in a, a little bit to Trump's decision. These things are known long in advance by the, our intelligence right. uh, uh, authorities. So, uh, that w- But I'm sure it was staged on purpose uh, at that time to kind of lay the groundwork for why pulling out of this deal was important, why Iran can't be trusted from the U.S. and Israeli perspective. Um, talk to us about Israel and and beyond that, what has their role been? What's been their reaction, and how have they felt about the uh, U.S. pulling out of the deal? Well, the, the first of all, let me just say a few words about that operation because it was it's amazing, yeah. uh, and the all the supporters of the deal, which I which unfortunately includes a very large segment of our press corps, they rushed. You know, even and, and this I'm literally you could see it on Twitter. While Netanyahu was still speaking, they were saying there's nothing new here, right? Right, which, which is which is a ridiculous argument. You, yeah. they first of all they cannot know there's nothing new here because even the Israelis are not yet finished going through all of these yeah. documents. But there's obviously a lot that's new. Uh, there's new information about uh, procurement networks, about um, uh, about personnel involved in the in in the program, uh, about the full nature of the program. I, we never knew before that the Fordo facility, this underground bunker that the Iranians had, was part of their weaponization uh, program. Uh, we there's now information about the deception program of the of the Iranians, and also about the the, the calculuses calculuses calculi calculi calcul whatever uh, uh, calculus. You have more the degrees plural. than me, Mike. Tell me what it is. Uh, I, I, the the the, the, the uh, the, some of the uh, some of the plans that the Iranians were making about how to keep their program going under the terms of the JCPOA, because what what the JCPOA did there, there are three elements to a nuclear weapon, to, to a nuclear weapons program. There's the there's the the there's getting the fissile material, there's getting the delivery system, the missile, and there's building the warhead and putting the warhead on the on the missile. And what the the theory behind the nuclear deal is that we it focused on only one of those aspects, which was the which was the uh, which is the fissile material, and it put restrictions on on the amount of fissile material and that the uh, or potentially fissile material that the uh, that the Iranians uh, uh, can um, stockpile for about ten years, and that's it. it we yeah. didn't it didn't touch missiles. In fact, it made it easier. It re, it it, it, it uh, reduced some of the restrictions on uh, Iran's missile program, uh, and it didn't touch weaponization at all. And th- so this this question of PMDs that they lied that the Iranians lied about uh, to the IAEA was all about weaponization, uh, and. Those documents that the Israelis uh, that the Israelis located in, 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 uh, and and uh, uh, stole from the from the Iranians are all about weaponization. So we don't. There's a ton that we didn't know about weaponization, yeah. and now we now we know it thanks to the to that operation, which I mean, in the histories of, of intelligence, is an amazing operation. Yes. I, you don't. I, you know, there will be a it script. It does. About it, at some point. it gets. It gets this good in the movies. It does, yeah. It never gets this good in reality. Right. Never. Right. 
No, that's good. Um, so Israel obviously is supportive of the U.S. position here. Um, are there? What are some of the other allies that the U.S. can count on as we backed out of the deal? Well, this, anybody who lives next to Iran hates Iran. I mean, it's, it's a quality that the, the Iranians share with the Russians. Yeah. You know, you, you, you like them better the farther away from them you live. So, you know, if you ask a poll about the Russians, they don't, you know, if you ask a poll about a conservative Catholic poll about Vladimir Putin's support for traditional values, he rolls his eyes. If you ask a conservative Catholic Frenchman about Vladimir Putin's uh, conservative values, he says, wow, we, I think we need to take this seriously. Yeah. And it's the same thing about with, with the Iranians. If you live close to them and you actually have been subjected to their policies, then you, you don't take any of their um, uh, you don't take any of their uh, sweet words very seriously. Uh, so the Saudis and, the, and all the Gulfies know who the Iranians are uh, and, they don't, and, 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 they don't, and they don't trust them. Um, and that's what's been wrong with the deal from the beginning is that it, it only it, – it focused in on one area of a troubling behavior by the Iranians, one small area, like I said, enrichment. And got the Iranians to agree to restrictions on that one small area for a limited period of time, and on the basis of that, lifted all of the lifted all of the penalties that we had placed on Iran for the totality of its bad behavior. So it's a it's, it, it was it was a um, not just a ridiculous deal, but it was also incoherent because we are concerned about the expansion of Iranian power throughout the region. It's a threat to us. It's a threat to our allies, and. We we cut this deal with them, which enriched them greatly and gave them uh, gave them and strengthened them diplomatically and militarily, and it gave them um, uh, economic resources to fuel the expansion in the region that we that we oppose. So it was it's a completely incoherent policy. So what should we will we be looking for going forward? Um, I, I mean, first let the the deal was. Uh, those who are critics of Trump for pulling out of the deal are arguing that, look, this stopped their nuclear program. You know, the other side will say, well, no, it just put it on hold for 10 years. And then after that, there's no way we can stop it. Um, but now they say, well, now that you've done this, they're going to have a nuclear weapon soon. Or has the Trump administration made the right calculus here? Is this going to make um, Israel, the rest of the region, and even the world as they develop uh, ballistic missiles safer? Is it going to prevent them from getting the weapon that, that well, is really the goal here? The the best argument on the other side is that they say, look, it wasn't a perfect deal, but it did something, and it bought us time. Uh, and uh, now the Iranians can, if, if the Iranians pull out of the deal, there'll be a new nuclear crisis. And how are we going to prevent them from from uh, developing the, the the fissile material from from nuclear breakout. That's what, you know from right. being within a uh, from having the ability to build a bomb before we can do something about it. A- and um, the fact of the matter is that they have a point because and then the other question they ask is th- we haven't seen a clear statement from the Trump administration or f- clear explanations how we get to victory, which yeah. is what which is one how do we get okay so you say. You, people who are against the deal, you say that these restrictions didn't actually work. 
but now you're going to get rid of them. And how are you going to get what you want by getting rid of them? That's a good question. And uh, the Trump administration ha- has, has yet to give us a, 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 a full answer. I fully admit that. Yeah. I would just say that, that the, the lies that we told ourselves – you know, wittingly or unwittingly, with whatever level of, uh, you know, of self-awareness about Iranian power during the JCPOA got in the way of a coherent understanding of the threat and of, uh, and of a coherent policy to deal with it. We've now gotten rid of the major impediment. Now we need a coherent policy. What Trump has done that Obama refused to do uh, and nobody's really commented on this because I don't either on either side because they don't they don't want to face up to it or they don't want to talk about it. He's put the military option back on the table, and that is significant in my view. One of the one of the lies of the of the nuclear deal was that there was some way that we could kind of throw you know uh, Obama pixie dust on this Iran problem and it would go away. And and that's it's just it's just not it's just it's just not honest. The fact of the matter is there is only one way we are going to stop them from developing a nuclear weapon, and that is by wresting that nuclear program from the talons of this evil regime. That is a coercive policy, and a coercive policy has to have a military component, a very powerful military component. Right. Which is not to say that we have to use it. Or the, 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 that we have to use the uh, we have to go to war. A on the table. It has to has to be not just a threat, but a, an absolutely credible threat. And, and and until this moment, there hasn't been one. Uh, there was a you know a brief moment in two thousand three when George Bush went into Iraq. That's when the Iranians put their weaponization program on hold, and that's because there was a credible threat for a, for a moment. But then that that threat dissipated. And under Obama, Obama made it clear. I mean, it was very obvious to anyone who was watching the Obama White House seriously, that Barack Obama had made a clear calculation. If the choice was between Iran getting a bomb and the United States going to war to prevent Iran from getting a bomb, Obama preferred the former, that Iran get the bomb. The worst outcome, the worst possible outcome for Obama was, uh, was for the United States to go to war to prevent it. I don't think that's the case for, for, for Donald Trump. So that's part of his calculation. I don't think it's enough. I, I don't think it's enough. There needs to be – we need a full uh, – you know, th- th- they need to develop a, uh, a full-scale, all elements of a national power strategy to, as I say, wrest that program from the talents of the, uh, of, of, of the regime. Uh, and I think it's our job the, – the critics of, the, of, his, of Trump's decision – are are saying that he he just uh, created chaos and made a huge mistake because there's no clear strategy. I'm saying, from my point of view, our job those people if we if we truly believe that Iran should never have a nuclear weapon, it is our job to 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 encourage the administration to develop that clear strategy sooner rather than later. From your sources and the administration and elsewhere, do you think that strategy is in the work? Do you think they understand that? Yeah, yeah, I think they're very smart people. I think they do understand it. I mean, but the, the Iran thing is a funny issue. I, mean, I saw this myself when I was in the, in the Bush White House. It's the uh, it's the proverbial issue that is um, that is important but not urgent. Everyone says and believes it when they say that stopping Iran from getting a nuclear weapon is the number one priority of the United States. But it's never the number one thing to do today. 
it's in, in, in the nature of the way the regime operates, uh, and and in the nature of the of the problem, it's always something that you can put off till next week, next month, and so on. I saw that with with with, with Bush. You know, Bush Bush, uh, Bush was clearly aware that our we, he, you know he it, it's it's he who set up the uh, the sanctions architecture that became so powerful uh, finally under the under the Obama administration. He clearly was asking us all the time, how do we win? How do we win? Right? How do we get to victory? And at a certain point, he saw that we were not going to get to victory on his watch, and he had to make a decision. Was he going to actually begin to put military pressure on the Iranians or not? And and I think this is me just interpreting. It's not like I ever had a conversation with him about it. I think he didn't want to go down in history as the mad bomber. Yeah, and so he decided at a certain point. Well, this is the next administration will have to make this decision, and it didn't seem like it was so urgent that. And of course, the next administration came in and said, "Well, you know, I want to, I want to go a whole another course. I want to bring Iran into the family of nations." So, anything to watch for in the in the coming months? Any uh, any key dates or? Uh... No, the key the key issue in the, in the short term is this European effort to block American sanctions and the and the U.S. German in particular friction over over this question there there's a there's a game of chicken going on and the question is who's who's going to blink and uh, uh we just we just have to wait and see how that how that plays out well mike i want to thank you for joining us uh, we'll have to have you back as, as this develops this is obviously as you said it is always on a kind of a slow simmering boil um, but it's something that we, we need to keep our eyes on and, and the policy community particularly here in Washington. Um, I also want to thank our listeners for joining us. Um, thanks for finding our podcast, for downloading it, and uh, please subscribe and tell your friends about it. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at policytalk at hudson.org. That's policytalk at hudson.org. From all of us here at Hudson Institute in Washington, D.C., we appreciate you joining us. Thank you.